episode of the tome show is brought to you by listeners like you thanks for using the tomes amazon and DD classics affiliate links hi i'm steve kenson of green running publishing you're listening to the tome show Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 250, we're going back to the realms in a way that we haven't gone to the realms in a long, long while, as we look at the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. You may notice again that Tracy is not with us. A few days ago, we recorded the last episode of The Tome Show dealing with Titan's Grave, although through the magic of podcasting, you may be time-traveling right now. So, point being, she was sick then and is still sick now, but do not worry, I'm not flying solo. With us in this episode is the nicest man in gaming, Sean Merwin. Hello, everyone. Also, the host of Appendix of the Appendix Inn podcast, from the Tome Show Productions, it's Jeff Wynn. That's me. And lastly, we convinced him to help us out in two episodes in a row. He certainly doesn't have a five-minute workday. It's David Gibson. Hi. <laughs> nice to be back, Jeff. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you're, you're way better at introducing people than, than I am. I... I make people introduce themselves on, on, on my show. Well, I'm very excited to have you all here, so I'm excited <laughs> to introduce you. Uh, and I mentioned at the end of the last episode, I'm going to mention at the beginning of this one, make sure when you hear this episode, you head over to Twitter, if you have a Twitter account, and you tweet at, at Sarah Darkmagic, Sarah with an H, Darkmagic, how much you missed her on this episode. I certainly do. I'm doing that right now. Well, she she I, won't I know what it's about start. yet. <laughs> so, in any case, it, it is good to have you all here, gentlemen, even if Tracy couldn't join us. We are going to talk about the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, or SCAG for short. Uh, it's sort of our first campaign guide in the new edition of D&D for the Realms, but it's not really a full campaign guide, but it's not exactly a regional book or a, an adventure-focused player's book. Uh it sort of walks the line between them all. And we're, before we get into talking about that and, and so much more about this book, I want to at least give full disclosure. I received a free review copy of this book and make sure, did anybody else get a free copy? I wish. All right. It's just me. That's good. I like having uh, unbiased opinions on there. I try to be unbiased in my opinions, even though I don't pay for the book sometimes. So, but I wasn't sure about Mr. Merwin over there, because sometimes he writes for Watsy, so I didn't know if he maybe got some swag. No, I playtested, but I did not get a free copy. No, I playtested and got a free copy. Uh (laughs) No, Jeff. Skag. Skag. Not swag. 
Isn't that skag. what I said? Oh, I meant to say skag. Okay, so it's time to talk about Sword Coast Adventures Guide. What do we Woo-hoo. think? It's a it's beautiful okay. book. <laughs> I heard it's okay and beautiful. It is beautifully okay. It is beautifully okay. Or Just okayly a, beautiful. Okayly beautiful. Okay. So I, when you I, say when you say a beautiful book, Jeff, are you talking about it's all around something that you like, or are you talking about the aesthetics specifically, like the way it looks? Uh, it is. It is all around something that that I I like. Yeah. Okay. And and, and David, you seem significantly less thrilled. It's it's really hard to judge the book based on what it is because there's so much else it could have been and maybe should have been, but mostly it's not the book. I don't think anyone really wanted. Mm. And I I think in three years when we actually have a lot more books, people look a lot more fondly at Skag, but right now at this point in time, it's, it's really hard to be really positive about this book. Oh, okay. What do you think it's missing? Uh, An actual realms DM guide beside it. (laughs) <laughs> so so you don't think it's enough because it's not an actual campaign guide no it's it's a player's guide and it's a great player's guide but it's definitely not enough to run the realms it's great if you're running a storyline or doing the adventurous play but it's not quite everything mm. and judging it on its own merits that suffers but when looking at it in a long-term perspective it's probably gonna hold up a lot more favorably okay yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to echo David. The, the, the biggest thing that this book is missing is just other books. Sure. Sean, give us your your ten thousand foot view. I, I actually agree with David, except I think that's a good thing. <laughs> and the reason I say that is Wizards has always walked. And I think you said the words like a fine line or you mm-hmm. know a line, Jeff. And that's exactly what this book is. This is the line that Wizards had to walk with this product at this time. Because there are so many different types of D&D and Forgotten Realms fans that if they go in one direction, they're going to get hammered by the Realms lore, uh, you know, Grognard all they want is realms lore and they want it detailed and they want it all whereas yeah, if, yeah, they we do. Go, if, in, if they go the other way um, you know then well if they go that way and they give the, the realms lore people everything they're just D&D players that just want to play a D&D game are like why should I buy this book mm. and then mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's that line that they had to walk between the people that say I can't play in the realms because there's just too much information And the people that just want the information. And so this book comes down right on that line. And yes, there could have been a lot more information in this book that I'm glad wasn't there. And I say that as a Realms fan and and someone Mm -hmm. who's written a lot in the Realms, uh, who's run a lot of games in the Realms. uh, I'm glad there wasn't more. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was, when I got the book, I read, you know, some of the sections to see how did the timeline progress from the fourth edition book that I read and then the third edition book that I read? Mm-hmm. And, and I was happy enough with the information that I got that would let me, even if I had, even if I knew nothing about the realms until I picked this book up, I could run my version of the realms without any hesitation. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I have, can't. Okay, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I, I I tend to in many ways agree. Like as as a a person who's a big fan of realms lore, and I'm certainly not. Uh, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of it. I haven't read all the novels, and I haven't memorized all the campaign guides. But I've been a fan for a long time, and I've read a lot. Um, and I like the lore. Um, that said. I found myself less disappointed and more excited because of the things that you talked about, right? I went I mm-hmm. I'm reading through it and it's like, "Oh, they're talking about this part of the world. What's it like now in the 5th edition? What happened after the after the sundering, right? Um what what happened in in um uh um oh, what's the stupid place with Chazar the dragon? Chasenta. Right? What happened down in Chasenta, you know, which had disappeared and now it's back and what happened in Lorien and what happened in all these places? Um, you know, and, and we and we get an update of all that, which is why I, I feel like in some ways they're walking a fine line. They're kind of dipping their toes in the water of the realms, right? They started with some adventures that don't really require a lot of campaign guide. And now they give us kind of a, a campaign guide light, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I feel like they're slowly building up to giving us something more. Um, I don't mm-hmm. even know how much I feel like this is a player's guide for the realms, although it has some of those elements. It also has, like, it, it di- dives deeper in the lore than I would expect from just a player's guide. Um, well, it, it it says Adventurer's Guide in the title, so at, at least the title would, would suggest that, that this is a book for primarily players. Mm. I, 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 I want to draw uh, parallels here, like, like I did uh, the last time I was on the show, be- between this book and the way Paizo built up their campaign setting because I, I I feel like Wizards is re-entering the Forgotten Realms the same way that that Paizo built up their setting mm-hmm. uh, Galarian which which is just called the Pathfinder camp campaign setting you know they 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 started when they were just they were just putting out three point point five products and they thought well we'll just put out three point five five adventures and people will will run them in their own in their own uh, setting, and then uh, you know the the details that they were leaking about their their own setting got popular, so they put out like a small soft cover thirty two page book, and then they put out a slightly bigger book, and years went by, and it's a full blown setting with multiple books coming out every month. the 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 difference between Paizo and uh, Wizards is that Wizards of the Coast is is about a year and a half into this this edition of Dungeons and Dragons and and at at this point Paizo was putting out at least a book a month an an adventure and some kind of supplement mm-hmm. and and Wizards is still going well we need to figure out what the people want cuz we have to get it exactly right so we're going to go slow yeah i don't know that we... i don't know that's a bad thing um, I don't, and I've heard a lot of, there's been a lot of discussion about the pace in, of, of release mm-hmm. products, and I feel like they're, they're very, int- I don't think they're going slow because they're trying to figure out what the people want. I think they, as I understand it, they have like two years or whatever planned out. Um, they know mm-hmm. what's coming. They, they have a vision and, and a direction, but they still are intentionally going slow. And as a consumer, I don't hate that, right? I'm not going to play like the the three adventures they've put out i've successfully played or run one of them right so as it is Mm -hmm. i can't keep up with the set the 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 pace if they put out a book a month um i'm going to get overwhelmed 
right? And, 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 and that's the difference between whether or not you want the books to be used or right. whether or not you want to, them to sell and be collector items. I, I, I certainly under un, understand. I, I I definitely don't keep up with everything that uh, Paizo puts out, right. and and I think at, at at this point in their in their development cycle, they're they're sort of retreading old old ground and and putting out books that that I'm not interested in. But I I mm-hmm. do like the fact that that they're putting out books, and someone in the fan fan community is is taking those those books and. You know, putting the you know putting the the information on a on, on a website or a or or or, or a wiki or something. It's getting some use, yeah. So, yeah. Well, and and I feel like, um, and and this sort of sums up some of my thoughts on this book, uh, the Sword Coast Adventures Guidebook, is that um, it's a really good book if it is a dipping the toe in the water sort of book, right? Or maybe the adventures were dipping the toe, and now we're up to our knees, right? Um, if what comes later. A year-ish, maybe even up to a year and a half, I could wait, is a full-blown campaign guide, mm-hmm. then the Sword Coast Adventures Guide is a great sort of wading into that process, right? If we are two or three years down the road and I'm still waiting for my campaign guide, then I'm going to like the Sword Coast Adventures Guide a lot less because this is all I get about the realms, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, with the uh, with the way that they've been handling their kind of adventure path, or mm-hmm. you know their published adventures, what they can do is set an adventure in one of these areas more specific than just the north or you know the northern Faerun or whatever you want to call it, um, and they can use that adventure to flesh out an area, and then if a DM gets through that and wants to do something on his or her own, they have just enough information about the Dale Lands or Thesk or or mm-hmm. even you know Waterdeep or the religions or the groups, the power groups, that they can then go off on their own and say, ooh, I'm going to make my own adventure now because I've played three or four of these adventure paths. I think I know how to do this. I have just enough information. I can go off and write my own stuff. Mm. And that gives this book a breadth of knowledge for the DM to do that, that they don't have to buy six books in six months yeah, to do. Absolutely. And, and, and it creates a less of a barrier to entry to get in or, or, or less of a perceived barrier to entry because it was never that barrier to entry anyway, right? Um, mm. um, yeah. I, I, it's really difficult, though, for, for four veteran D&D players to talk about what would work really well, though, for new players, right? It's just really hard to get into that mindset and know, is this enough for them or do they need more? I don't know because I'm not that person anymore. Well, looking back historically, the Greyhawk Bully, which is the first um, first D&D campaign type setting, was tiny in terms of detail. Mm, True. This is staggering amounts more than that little thing. And that was just like a a small like half paragraph of for each land. This is more than you have, and for the new people, and for anyone who is experienced a gamer, they probably have one or two or three Forgotten Realm campaign settings already. So the realms fans have that lore mm-hmm. and don't need as much. They just need the, the details that help fill in the gaps. They need that paragraph on Jacenta that tells them what's happened since then, since they returned. Mm-hmm. And that's something I, I like about this book is that there is a lot of lore. But curiously, it's a lot of it, half the book is in a first-person perspective. It's mm-hmm. written from the perspective of a, a narrator, some travel guides. It's more of a travelogue, which adds a 
an aspect of an unreliable narrator to the book mm-hmm. in that the IDM can choose to go directly with this book and what it says, or they can go their own way and say, like, that was just that guy's opinion. They were wrong, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it yeah. gives the DM a little more permission to, to yes. make their Forgotten Realms different. It, it, it echoes a lot of, of, of what I've heard Ed Greenwood say in, mm-hmm. in interviews about, about how the realms should be pre- presented. I, I think if, if, if the very next thing they did was a book exactly like this, but centered uh, on the Moonsea area, which, as Sean knows, is, is where the uh, organized play takes, take, takes place, I think that, that, that would be, be a very excellent next step. Yeah, that's probably yeah, one of my that, biggest... Sorry, go, go Sean. Ahead. No, no, you got it. It's, I was going to say that one of my biggest problems with the book is the fact that the Moon Sea only gets like a tiny amount of space. When this, this should be the Sword Coast and Moon Sea region, the, the book you give to the, the new player who's playing the Adventurers League to say, this is what you need to know about the region. And, and to, be, to be clear, we're, we're, we're using phrases like dipping toes and <laughs> tiny bit of in, information, but th- this is a very... Dense. It's book. pretty dense, yeah. Most of the pages here are solid text with like a few pictures here, here, here and there, but there is a lot of information packed into to this book. Can I throw yeah, out some numbers, is. actually? Go ahead. Go ahead. I have some numbers. I was getting into argument about this versus the third edition for Gone Realms campaign setting, which is an excellent, fabulous book. Uh, Noble Knight Pick of the Week, probably. Yeah, they're still doing that. Uh, and so I actually compared the, the amount of pages on the Sword Coast region and kind of player content in that book to this, to this book. And it was 94 pages in the Forgotten Realms campaign setting versus the 160 of Skag, which was immediately countered with, but the font in the, the Skag is so much larger. So I actually figured out the words per page. <laughs> and the Forgotten Realms campaign setting guide has about 85,000 words on the Sword Coast region and like the general information on the realms versus Skag's 100,000. So it's a great source of information on that region, much more comprehensive than even a large campaign setting guide. Now you can go that much depth. But, but see, here's the difference. Um, and I think that's where this book is. Um, I don't know if, it's, if it has a bit of an identity crisis, but, but there's a little bit of that going on. Uh, and I don't know that it's a bad thing. Um, but the campaign guide is a book that that has a whole bunch uh, it covers the entirety of the realms to about that level of of detail um this book it seems to be about one third about the sword coast about one third about the realms generally and about one third of sort of player material does that seem roughly a a fair estimate of, of the breakdown yeah yep sure so and so there's a lot of the the word you know the word count that you're talking about in this book. Um, I'm assuming that that's how you counted it. Um, yeah. That is actually not about the Sword Coast, but it's dealing with these other places that aren't anywhere near the Sword Coast that I feel like are only there for people like me just to give us a quick update. Like this is their chance to say, "Hey, mm-hmm. here's kind of what's going on in other parts of the world because you because pro- I know you're dying to know." Right. It it. It is there for for that reason, but but I would also say it's it's there to show that the realms is a very cos- cosmopolitan mm-hmm. place. And if you're if you're venturing in a place like Waterdeep, you might run into something 
that's influenced by something else that's happening in one of these far-off places. You, you might run into a, a foreign traveler or an, an ancient artifact from Mulharind or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, I, so I, don't, I don't think, the, I don't think in, including all, all that stuff is, is necessarily wasteful or no, no, no. Um, lacking in, 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 in focus. No, well, okay, I I definitely don't think it's wasteful because I really enjoyed it and and I mm -hmm. and I completely agree because this is the only book we have. You need it, right? In the I, I'm in I'm think I'm probably mentally comparing it to like the third edition days when mm -hmm. they released the big campaign guide first, which was just sort of a general overview, and then there were a whole bunch of regional books. Like, and now we're going to talk about the Sword Coast region, and now we're going to talk about the Silver Marches, and now we're going to talk about whatever, right? And they would go really in-depth in specific regions, uh, you know, about once a month or so, they'd put out a New Forgotten Realms book. Um, th this is going the other direction. So there, it's, it's, we really want to tell you about the, the Sword Coast, and because there's nothing else out there, we kind of also have to tell you about the rest of the realms, Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it does lack focus because of that, but I don't know that I would have it any other way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I'll, and I'll, I can I'll... tell you it was meticul meticulously researched because the first thing I looked at when I opened it was the uh, Moonshay Isles because that's mm -hmm. my favorite area of the realms. Oh, it's one of my least. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, uh, I wrote a fourth edition dragon article about backdrop moonshay isles oh, okay. which was just kind of expanding and how to run a campaign here some of the cool things and i added a couple of npcs that you know that popped up and those npcs are mentioned in the moonshay isles uh section in this book so they obviously didn't just go back to you know the fourth edition and the third edition and say okay we'll just kind of copy it paste and maybe add a sentence. They mm -hmm. they did some research on this, so I have to give uh, Green Ronin a, a tip of the hat well, to to the extent that they uh, that they researched. And in fact, they list on on the credits page they list a bibliography. I was just about to mention that. Yeah, yeah. They've, yep. and they and they, so they list you know what twenty years worth of of places where they looked and researched for this, including a lot of the the Ed Greenwood sort of uh, Volos guides and and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I would I would say that bibliography is a very excellent shopping list if you're going to go to Drive Through RPG, like right after reading this this book. If you want to go to Drive Through RPG and purchase all, all all that stuff, or or at least the titles that that interest you, that that would be a great next step. Yeah, that's a good step. Um, yeah, and and they also have some some people on the book that are. Um, very much people that I would trust in handling my realm's lore and, and what have you, right? Um, especially Brian Cortijo working yeah. on this is, is huge. Like, And he's one of those people who's like, I bet I could get Brian on this, but I probably shouldn't have him review a book that he worked on, right? <laughs> um, but Brian Cortijo is definitely like, um, when it comes to realm's lore, there's Ed Greenwood and then there's Brian, yeah. right? And so yeah. the fact that Brian's on it and then, of course, Matt Sarnett from, from Watsi. Um, yep. is, is a, a, a you know an encyclopedic knowledge of of the realms as well, and so those two names on there help a lot. Does it bother anybody? Um, you know, maybe besides me a little bit that that we have our first sort of uh, Forgotten Realms campaign guide and Ed isn't listed in the credits anywhere. I was a little He's listed in the. Um, go, Jeff. Uh, no, you, David. Go ahead. <laughs> I was I was a little put off, but. He's uh, he's doing a lot of novels now. That might be just Ed being really really busy. He's doing a lot of mm. other stuff. What, what were you gonna say, Jeff? Well, I, I was gonna say he's listed in the in the bibliography. 
Right. So he definitely, I mean, you can't, if you're going to have a bibliography of where you researched, you can't do that without, you know, having researched in the realms, right? Uh, and if you research in the realms, you're going to run into the works of Ed Greenwood. Um, my understanding um, is that a big part of the reason that Ed's not on here is because when Watsi um, works with studios on these sorts of things, um, the budget's not generally big enough to to have all the people working on it that need to work on it and also afford Ed Greenwood. Um, that's sort of the take I got from some conversations I had at Gen Con with people who um, were close to the project. So, And, and I, I don't really think that he needs to be on this because, I mean, the the... As, as as Ed has said on your on your on your show, the 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 Forgotten Realms has kind of gotten away from 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 him to the point where he he enjoys being surprised by his own his own setting, and and I think think a lot of what's in here is just uh, re, regurgitated and repackaged material from older sources. Sure. Uh, well, yeah. some of and it, so like, but there's Ed, a lot of new in here too. Yeah, they're, they're going to have. They're going to have a story Bible, mm-hmm. and the people that worked on that story Bible may have worked on it four or five years ago, um, and Ed may have reviewed that. Well, and so, I, I understand that a lot of the the fifth edition realm story Bible came out of the um, the authors um, workshops that you know our our big realms authors got together and sort mm-hmm. of talked about the stories they wanted to tell, and that sort of gave them the direction of the new realms. So and Ed was you know it was Ed and Salvatore and and Aaron Evans and Troy Denning and um, all of those people. So sure, yeah, I sure. I, I didn't mean to say regurgitated that. That sounds bad. <laughs> what, I, what I what I meant was Ed's 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 already done the work that went in, in into this book. He even even though his his name's not not on it. Mm-hmm. I'm also fairly certain that um, because I know the way because I know Brian Cortijo uh, who worked on the book. Um, and I know the the way he works. That whenever he does have a realms question or a lore question that he's not sure about, he knows how to get a hold of Ed. Um, so it could be that Ed is an uncredited, you know, consultant on the book anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've consulted him on more than one project mm-hmm. that that his name wasn't in, but he obviously his knowledge and opinion hold great weight. Yeah, the fact that Brian worked on the book goes a long ways towards making me okay with the fact that Ed isn't on it. But it's sure. still, it's still, it's it's hard to see our first um, campaign guide like book from in the realms, and it, and and Ed's not on it. But I understand. Well, maybe he was just too busy with the campaign setting. Well, he and he has well, <laughs> he's got his own stuff going on too. He's he's yeah. publishing heavily on his own, so there's a lot of novels. Yeah. Cool. So any, we've talked a lot about setting stuff uh, and whether or not it's enough or too much or regional or, or, or worldwide or whatever. Um, is there any more sort of setting conversation we want to have? Because then I want to switch gears and talk about all the players' material, um, you know, the more crunchy sort of stuff that we haven't really even talked about yet. I, I, I want to say that what, what I like um, is, is, is that be, be, before they, they sort of get to the regional breakdowns, uh, what what they do is they they break they they sort of break up all 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 the locations by by theme and faction rather than by geographical lo- locations. Um, you know, com- compared to uh, other camp 
campaign settings that that I've I've read, even even the Pathfinder campaign setting, they 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 tend to take all of their locations and sort of just present them in alphabet, alphabetical order. Mm. And this book presents everything in a more thematic order, mm-hmm. which which really helps me to understand how this whole world fits together. I think I think my my major complaint about the fourth edition Forgotten Realms campaign setting was it it was basically twenty or so mini campaign settings that that had nothing to do with each other. Hmm. And and this this reading this this whole world feels like like all of these places live together and and interact with each other. Yeah, on one hand I I think by by presenting things not necessarily alphabetically but regionally, like hey, we're going to talk about this large region, like the Silver Marches, and you can make things feel larger that way because you can see how, you know, um, um, Silvery Moon is connected to Mithril Hall, is connected to Sundabar, and you can kind of see that that web. Um, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, uh, I guess on that theme, my my take on on what you just said is that I feel like. A, a listing that's more geographic or even alphabetic is maybe more useful to me at the table, but a lot less engaging to read. And if, this is this is not a reference. And book, if no. this is not a reference book, then then that's okay, right? And and it can be a reference book uh, to a degree. Like if I'm a DM and I want to, you know, play a game in a certain location, I can certainly go and look at it. And or hey, look, there's an index. Um, I could grab the index and and say, oh, I mm-hmm. want to I want to be in Waterdeep. What do we have? And and catch the parts about Waterdeep and find it that way. But at the table, um, it's not in depth enough that you really even need to do that. As long as you know the bit large themes of where you're going, that's about all all you're going to get from reading it anyway. Any other setting thoughts? Hmm. I have a half setting thought. Okay, it's uh, the cover. The cover features, was it six or five named NPCs? Mm-hmm. And looking at them, and I, I Googling, two of them come from the video games. Uh, Lydia is from Sword Coast Legends, and Makos the Tiefling is a companion in the Neverwinter kind of MMO. Oh, I, didn't, I did not realize that. So the other three I have not been able to identify. So it's, which makes me wonder the, if the reason we got this book first is as a, a companion book. To Sword Coast Legends, oh, because that's coming out around. Uh, it was, coming out, it came, came out around the time, same time this did. Yeah, I was very reminded of that when you actually mentioned Gen Con because I remember an interview. But the thing was, Jeremy Crawford really said they really wanted to focus on being flexible this edition mm. and being able to coordinate a release book to the release of a, another video game mm-hmm. is something that they really want to do. I mean, they did that with uh, Neverwinter the, the first time, and they did that with the the Book of Wild Darkness. And both times, previous times, they kind of missed the window because the mm. book came out significantly before the media. So I think the, you know, the fle- they think they're trying to be really flexible and get mm-hmm. the, the book out and actually synergize correctly this time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's kind of setting related, but um, yeah, absolutely. So let's get into the crunch then. Um, if that's the last of our our setting based thoughts, our fluff thoughts, if we want to do the fluff crunch uh, dynamic here. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would say that the crunch kind of starts in chapter three um, with the the races of the realms chapter. Uh, but even that is kind of difficult to say 
Because the races of the realm section is also mostly fluff, right? It's describing the races, and a lot of the crunches, you know, shield dwarves count as mountain dwarves in the player's handbook. We just call them shield dwarves and move on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but, but this is the first chapter where we do start getting some new crunch, right? Um, we get the, the Duragar, the gray dwarves. What else do we get? Let me flip through here as we... Unless somebody remembers other things, ghostwise halflings. Do we uh, do we get actual full fledged ghostwise halflings? Yeah, uh, page one ten. They get a little sidebar. Yeah, That's so we uh, so we kind of get ghostwise halflings, right? They're they're, the, they're not a full sub race. They're just sort of a sidebar of oh, you can kind of make ghostwise if you do this. Yeah, yeah. Most of the crunch is kind of sidebar-y. Mm-hmm. I am. I've just made a new word because um, yeah. like they they put the deep gnome feet for the sniff neblin magic. In a sidebar, mm-hmm. but you also get uh, the, the deep gnomes again completely. Yeah, you get you yeah. get Sverfneblin as a full fleshed out um, sub race. What more would you need, Jeff, to make the Ghostwise Halflings a full fledged sub race? Well, it's, I guess, and I guess maybe that was the decision that they made was they started making a Ghostwise Halfling and said, you know what, we don't really need a whole new race. We just need a couple of features that replace you know these other features and call it good enough. So I'm not sure that there is more that you need. Um, it's just it, it stands out as different, right? We have deep, or we have the the gray dwarves. We have the deep gnomes. They get a full entry, and the ghostwise kind of get a sidebar. With a, I with think that's because the, I think it's because the ghostwise halflings are kind of more optional. I think it's more of a DM approval thing, maybe. That, and that may be right. Ghostwise were always a little different um, than the rest of the halflings. They're not normal. They're a lot more rare. They're a lot less likely to go adventuring. Always had that psychic thing going on that was always a little tricky too. I do like the um, the variants on tieflings. Like that's not a full fledged thing, but it it makes sense as a sidebar. Mm-hmm. And some of them are as simple as, "Hey, you're a tiefling with a, a bit of a different look." But then some of them are, um, "No, you're a you're a feral tiefling, so it changes the ability score b- bonuses you get." Or you're a winged tiefling, and and you get this, but you maybe have to give up something else that you have. Yeah, we get new half-elf variants where the, your your features are based on the kind of elf that you are half of, mm-hmm. you know, which is something that's hasn't been done, I don't think, up to this point. No, I don't think but I've ever a, seen that. Yeah, it's always something players, especially new players, always ask me. It's like, well, there's different kinds of elves, so am I a different kind of half-elf? And now you can say, yeah, sure, yeah. why not? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and that's actually um, that reminded me a little bit of uh, Fantasy Age, which is a whole different game system, right? Um, but Fantasy Age has just sort of a, a half race system, so you've got your handful of five races, and if you want to make a half orc, um, then you just pick the other half, and and there's a system for merging them. Uh, so you could be a half elf who's you know half elf, half dwarf, half elf, half orc, whatever, right? And it's a and it's a different race depending on that. And so this is a little bit of that, but not quite going that far. Yep. So then, so, after are we going to say something about races? Yeah, I was actually thinking the um, Spurf Neblin, if I remember correctly, that was also in the Elemental Evil Players Companion. Correct. Yes. The, yeah, that yeah, sounds think, right. Yeah. 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 So, is anyone else a little annoyed that they reprinted that rather than giving us a, the, the full ASMR in a player book? Um, it's the ASMR. The ASMR get a little sidebar, no physical stats, and it's like I'm, see the DMG. 
I'm always annoyed when the ASMR don't get the same amount of love as the tieflings because to me they're they're two of a kind and and they should always be treated equally. I don't I don't see why tieflings are in, inherently more cool than ASMR, but that's that's just me. Well, and th- there's there's a lore issue here. There's a setting issue, right? Surf Nebulin makes sense in a in a Forgotten Realms adventurer's guide. Um, tieflings make sense in that they have a definite place, right? ASMR have always sort of maybe sort of existed at the fringe. Like I can't think of a significant ASMR character, let alone a a um, you know a whole organization or a kingdom run by ASMR, right? Um, that's that's true. So I, I guess thematically fitting in, like I understand mechanically and for balance, it totally makes sense to have ASMR uh, and and have them all fleshed out and and ready to go. On the other hand, um, Swerf Neblin makes sense in this in the story, um, and, and as as and this is sort of the third um, goal, I guess, of the book is to sort of be a companion to all of the adventures that they've put out. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving us some of the, the underdark races when we just had the Out of the Abyss adventure come out um, shortly before this kind of makes sense to support that, right? You don't need more races to support um, Tyranny of Dragons or the Elemental Evil book, uh, Prince of the Apocalypse. Um, but it would be helpful to have the underdark ones for that other book. And so we get some of those here. I agree. I, I agree, but I think a lot of that comes down to what character do you play and have a little... Uh, have a little survey and I have a feeling tiefling, you know, is probably five magnitudes higher than Asimar is. And that's the only reason. (laughs) And that's sort of the classic question though, right? Uh, Do, do tieflings get played more because they're more popular or than Asimar or is it because they get more support, right? It's a chicken and an egg question. Yeah, I mean, I there's there's there, there's a whole novel series about about tieflings. There's not there's not a novel series about ASMR. That's true, but that's also again is that because there's no support for ASMR? Uh, there's also the whole thing about organized play because you can't use the ASMR in organized play because right. it's in the DMG. I think you need a, a certificate for that. Mm. Whereas you could play the deep gnomes already from the because already in the elemental mm-hmm. book. So you're not getting any more crunch. This is still continuing to keep the ASMR away from... And 4th edition kind of got away from that thematically by giving us the the Deva, right? Yeah. Um, Because that was definitely a different race than the ASMR, but similar Mm -hmm. sort of thematically. And we know that Devas are a thing in the realms because we do have at least one that I can recall in a novel. I think Bruce Cordell wrote a novel uh, with a Deva. Yeah. I actually... uh, A couple novels, actually. I, I really like those. I'm sad that Bruce is gone. I hope he can at least still write novels for Forgotten Realms again someday. When they expand beyond the, what, four or five authors that they have? So anyway. Did, 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 did he come back for the, for the Sundering? He did not write for the Sundering, no. Oh, okay. So any other thoughts on races, or shall we move on to classes? I just, I just want to uh, point out as a as as a Pathfinder uh, fan, the 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 section on Tieflings has nothing on the on the uh, Tieflings material in Pathfinder, where where you get a, a a different kind of Tiefling for every single kind of uh, fiendish outsider that they have. Sure, although one could argue that's a little bit um, huge. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm not complaining. No? Okay. <laughs> uh, that is certainly one of the things that people like about Pathfinder. There are lots of options, and, 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 and I totally get that appeal. I think I think this this is is kind of where we we can again compare and and contrast because Wizards has said that that they want uh, all all their 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 rules to be informed by their story. By their story. Where, whereas uh, Pathfinder they 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 put out rules products and then they put out setting products and mm-hmm. and those are two very separate things. Mm-hmm. So two two diff, diff, different approaches. Absolutely. And I don't know that either is necessarily better or worse, but they're definitely two different approaches that give us two different results. Uh, I think there's a lot of business decisions that goes into that. Yeah, absolutely. That we've, I think, both Wizards, well, TSR learned it the hard way. Um, and I think Wizards began to learn it with third edition. And uh, we'll see if Paizo learns it the hard way. <laughs> well, in, the all, coming, although, in the coming months. What Paizo's doing is working for them, right? So so two different business models can both su- be successful without mm-hmm. without being the same. It's, well, it's, it's, there's, it's there's short-term the... and there's long-term. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I let's just say but we'll see where everything ends up long-term. <laughs> that's that's not unfair. I mean, I've had um, – I, I had some designers – for Pathfinder tell me two or three years ago that they thought Pathfinder was right for a new edition because it was getting a little long in the tooth and it was getting a little cumbersome to design for anymore. So, Yeah, Sean's, Sean's fear is, is my fear. Paizo's still... Well, Pathfinder is, is still a young brand. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And, and we should totally do a Pathfinder comparison episode someday. <laughs> we've, we've moved a bit afield, though. Oh, any, um, any, any episode with, with uh, Jeff Wynn on it is... Is, is, is a Pathfinder kind of, episode. <laughs> That's well, true. it just... It, it, you know, it is a tangent, but it does, does come back to, you know, why is there a limited amount of, of crunch mm-hmm. in this book, which we're about to talk about. So it, it, is, it is a thing. It absolutely uh, is. No, I think it's a fair discussion. But I think that the that the classes, which contain you know this book contains most of the crunch for that, does a fairly decent job of making it feel like realms material as mm-hmm. well. And you can certainly port some of it to different places, but I think it does a does a fairly good job of that. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 let's start talking about classes then. That's chapter four. And they and again, just like races, they don't just go hey. Let's talk about classes. Here's a bunch of new crunch. They say, hey, let's talk about classes. Um, here's some story. And when necessary, let's give you some, some crunch that, that we don't already have, right? So there are other areas where they don't. Like when they talk about the, the bards and the bardic colleges, they don't invent a bunch of new bardic colleges. They describe existing bardic colleges of the realms and then say, and here's the one from the player's handbook that matches that. Right? We're not going to invent something new for the sake of inventing something new. But then the, when they're doing something like the Battle Rager, they're like, well, we don't have anything that currently kind of captures that, that feeling. So let's create a new you know, build for, for um, Barbarian so that we can have the Battle Rager. So it's still a lot of uh, fluff and then crunch as necessary, I would say, is sort of how they did the classes. Yeah, and I really love how they put in actual blocks of text from novels mm-hmm. to say, you know, not only are we going to show you this, we're going to give you an example of a novel where this actually took place so you can get a feel for it. Absolutely. 
What's our what's everybody's favorite new build, I guess, from the or new mechanical feature in the class section? I like that we got a new cleric domain. Uh-huh. Well, I think I think that we have way too few of those and mm-hmm. we need a lot more. <laughs> I don't disagree. I th- and I and this is how I kind of expected us to get more. So I'm not surprised to see that the extra. I I wish domain. we'd gotten more than one new <laughs> cleric domain, but I'll, I, I'll take what I can get. And I think the realms could have justified more than one, but didn't need to. There 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 are 20 pages alone on the gods in this mm-hmm. book. There are. Well, you don't admit a god. They, they get upset with you. Yeah. So so Jeff likes the new uh, cleric domain, which is the arcane. Domain, which Mistra is such a big deal to the realms that you can't have, like it would be difficult to do Mistra without an arcane domain. Domain mm-hmm. you can kind of do it with like knowledge domain, but even that's not quite right. Right. Um, so you kind of needed to have the arcane domain. Uh, I don't know that there's o- there's others you could have done, but I don't know that you needed to do like you needed arcane. So David or or Sean, which is your favorite um, new mechanical bit? I like that they brought back blade singing. That's neat. Uh huh. Talk about blade singing. What? How does it work? Well, it's it's the nice little counterpoint. It's the the uh, the other option to parallel the the eldritch knight, or kind of the the sword mage, mm-hmm. where you can kind of be the the arcane wizard, that the arcane wizard, uh, the the wizard that uses martial weapons and fights. So instead of being the fighter that does a little bit of spells, you're the wizard that does a little bit of stabbing. Mm-hmm. And so you do get that that extra attack, and you get the little thing that lets you boost your intelligence. And I you know I, I've always just liked the idea that the blade song. It just sounds neat and evocative, and it gets a lot of attention here. Mm-hmm. New cantrips and everything, some of which evoke the uh, uh, at will powers from fourth edition sword mages. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sean? Well, I've got to go with the Purple Dragon Knight because it's such a such an iconic uh, Cormirian stereotype that it really uh, it really evokes that that knighthood well. And and the Purple Dragon Knight is the perfect example of exactly why or 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 the evidence that they are definitely they wanted to give us a Forgotten Realms campaign guide as much as they can, but they were only tasked to give us the Sword Coast, right? Because Cormier and the Purple Dragons are not anywhere near the Sword Coast. <laughs> and, and And really have no place being in a Sword Coast book. But it's our first Realms book, and they kind of wanted to give us the, the Purple Dragon Knight. Well, we've, yeah, we've, we've seen from, uh, from uh, Aaron Evans' novels that uh, Cormier... Can can reach as far as the Sword Coast if if they wanna if they wanna get some some somebody and bring them back. Well, so certainly Cormier has the means to uh, people in Cormier have the means to travel, um, but it, that doesn't make a Purple Dragon Knight a Cor- or, or a, a Sword Coast. I mean, there's plenty of things that are Sword Coast specific, right? I it's, was, I was, I was trying to. Uh... Yeah, you're justifying. <laughs> um, I think. On one hand, I think my favorite mechan- new mechanical thing is the Path of the Battle Rager for Barbarians, just because I, I love that concept of the Battle Rager, the, the dwarven barbarian in the spiked armor who just throws, the, throws themselves into a throng of enemies and goes crazy and, and everything gets torn up. I don't know that mechanically it's as awesome as I want it to be, but it could be. I certainly, it's certainly um, gotten attention, right? Um, I'm just getting ready to start a new campaign, and we made characters um, last weekend. And 
that was one of the ones that definitely got a, a deep look by some of the players of, ooh, that sounds interesting, and looked at it in a lot of detail. Um, I think the one that may be more, I don't know, universally interesting, um, to whether it's in the realms or not, is the um, the new uh, Warlock Pact. Um, at least it was at my table, right? Um, of everything in here, that's the only one that actually got used by anybody in that character creation, is somebody took the Pact of the Undying. They, 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 they even list patrons from other campaign settings before they list patrons from, from the realms. Yes, they do. Which I think is where what David was going to say. Yeah, I was wondering, as a realm scholar, does it feel particularly Forgotten Realms-ish to you? Does it seem to like fit the setting? Yeah, so it fits certain characters in certain stories. Um, there are certain characters um, that could definitely be seen as warlocks of Larlock or of, of Zaztam. Um, certainly with those sort of legendary NPCs or villains, right? Um, mm-hmm. You could see any, but anything that is granting powers to people is, is near godlike. Uh, and there are a few of those that are undying in the realms. But I, but I don't disagree. I don't know that I feel like it feels like I, it's not something I felt like the realms needed to work. Right? None was, of the, I, Go ahead. I was a little disappointed that uh, the all the other patrons got like this huge section listing all the all the the patrons like you got the list of the archfey, the list of mm-hmm. the fiends, the list of the great old ones, and so you have like the individual names and their motivations, and then we get this brand new pact, and we get like uh, just a, a list, tiny amount, a short, yeah. a short list with no description. Yeah. Well, and I, go ahead. I, 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 I do like 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 those. Bleh. I I do like those lists though. I think I think. Um, I'm 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 always interested, you know, in 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 in, in anything that's that's um, slightly less less powerful than a, than a god that can that can grant power, you know. I like I'm I'm always interested in in like uh, you know de- demon lords and and arc archangels and um, like there's there's just so many you know great things on this list. I mean, mm-hmm. Lorcan, you can you can have have Lorcan as your as your fiend patron. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Monder is is on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, one of one of my favorite because um, I, I I he 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 featured heavily in in the uh, Azure Bonds novel, which was my my favorite ever uh, Forgotten Realms oh, novel. Yeah. Jeff, my, my son is reading that right now. Well, it should it should, it should be on uh, the uh, the book, book club. Tyrant <laughs> uh, Tyrant Thraxus is here from mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Pool. Pool Pool of Radiance. So, like these these two pages alone are, are just some some of my favorite things about about the realms here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the, actually, the Great Old One list is is arguably the most interesting list to me because it gives us uh, beings that can be considered Great Old Ones that don't necessarily have to evoke Cthulhu to do it. You know, that's what that's that's uh, both the 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 thing that everybody loves about the great old one pact and the thing that's kind of, um, a weird thing. And I Mm -hmm. guess weird thing works because it's supposed to be weird and alien, but like, that's not a thing that has existed in some settings. And why does it have to, like, why does every setting have to be Cthulhu? Um, and so this gives us a way to have that without changing the theme of the realms to make it more Cthulhu-esque. 
every setting will be Cthulhu. Every setting will eventually be Cthulhu, yep. Because Um, Cthulhu will consume all. The other one that I found interesting was the the new Sorceress Origin, which was the the Storm Sorcery, because that's not something we've ever seen as being a big deal in the realms before either. And they describe it as as a result of events during the Sundering. So it's Uh. it's intended to be new because it had you know this the sundering happened recently, right? Um this is one that I looked at and it's like, well this could be an any setting. I wonder if there's not going to be a novel in the next year or so that features a storm sorcerer and so they're sort of setting us up for that. A a, a lot of things in this book seem to be about taking fourth edition concepts that people like and bringing them into, into yeah, fifth some, edition. Some of I mean, the, could be going on too. The the wizard option. The the blade singer is basically bringing the fourth edition spell blade into 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 fifth edition. And and the storm sorcerer was also something that was introduced in four e, which I don't think I don't think a storm sorcerer was was a thing before fourth edition. It, it just kind of came out of out of nowhere. Well, in fairness, and, the spell blade was a ripoff of the blade singer first because the blade singer has been around since forever. Yeah. Right. That was that was <laughs> that that at least had some precedent. But yeah. I I never like no one I, I never heard anyone say they really wanted to play a storm sorcerer before there was a storm sorcerer and in even the, for, after the there was a storm sorcerer. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. See. Yeah. I, I I think I think tying it to 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 the great rain is 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 kind of weird because that's a, that's a specific thing that happened like one time. Yeah, and it was a big deal. And again, um, if. Uh, was it uh, Richard Lee Byers who wrote that novel? If he comes back and continues writing novels in that series, I, that's where I could see this becoming a thing, right? Where then he explores the the larger magical effects of the Great Rain and the people of the region being being changed by it, and the existence of storm sorcerers being part of that. So that's where I could see that happening, right? Um, and maybe it won't, and maybe it is just a we need an excuse to bring in something that that we kind of liked from Fourth Ed. Um, and that is entirely possible. And only, again, like so many things in this book, only time will tell. Uh, in the interest of time, because we're almost at an hour and we haven't even done the had the interview yet. Um, so let's move forward into chapter five, which is the background section, which is another thing that is a, gr- a great part and a great addition that fifth edition gave us and something that we needed a, more of anyway. Right. Uh, and so now we have more. What do we think about the new backgrounds? I'm disappointed there wasn't more of the old backgrounds. What do you mean by old backgrounds? It's it's well, each of the races got a full you know, paragraph, if not half column, of information on how that particular race fits into the world. And did of the classes. So we know how the fighters fit into the world. I'd have liked to have seen all the players' handbook backgrounds give like a little bit of information of what's a, a an Adept, like in the Forgotten Realms, oh, where, yeah. how does your adept background fit into the setting a, a little bit? Maybe not like as much as the classes get, but they're meant to be the third pillar. They're meant yeah. to be as, as the equal. I classes. mean, I don't, I don't feel like I need, and, and 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 maybe we just have different needs. I don't feel like I need that. Like I, the realms is general enough that the general backgrounds I feel like are pretty easy to fit. Um. But I just always wanted more backgrounds. Like, the number of backgrounds we have is very limiting. And I guess that's why they're encouraged to make your own. Um, so, But the idea of having now more backgrounds uh, at our beck and call, I think, is just helpful. Some of them are, like, the Water Davian Noble 
um, at what, as opposed to the noble in the player's handbook? Like, <laughs> like that one wasn't noble enough. You needed to be Water Davian specifically, and I don't know that they're different enough that it really needed a new one. Um, you know, but then there's there's others that um, I think are useful, right? The um, the inheritor, which is different than just a noble because it's it's a specific type of situation, or the far traveler, I can see being being very popular amongst adventurers. Um, you know, some of them don't get full um, new write ups, right? Some of them are definitely connected to existing um, existing backgrounds, like the courtier doesn't get a, a whole new thing and and when it goes comes time to make the characteristics it's just sort of says hey open up the player's handbook and, and use some of these right um but some of them do are they different enough are they realmsian enough to, to really add to the setting or is it just an excuse to give us more backgrounds i have a feeling it was a little bit of both yeah it feels I, have, I have a feeling that they had maybe you know half of the ones in here that are that are very uh, realmsian and then they thought well we need to fill up a few more pages and backgrounds are pretty easy to create so let's just throw in a, a, a few more mm -hmm. and you know they're they can be loosely tied to to the realms in general or a specific location in the realms uh but i think backgrounds are fairly easy to create and can kind of become filler after a while hmm. uh so that's just my thought on it. I'm curious what people think about the faction agent background. Because that's one that feels like it ties very closely to the setting, but is also, like, weirdly broad. Like, what, a, a, an agent of the Zinterim is going to be the same as an agent of the Emerald Enclave? Like, I like the idea of it. It really ties nicely into the Adventures League, and those makes those factions a little bit more visible. And... It, it's also really open, so you can make your own different factions for a home game or a different part of the realms. So, there like the little wizards, could be a, a different faction. So, it's nice and flexible. And really, the the benefit of your faction will help you and shelter you. That's something that uh, Zentarum would do as well as the the Harpers. Sure, it just feels like it, um, you could have also done a different background for each faction. And that would have been, worked as well. Although certainly would have been less flexible, like you mentioned, right? It would have been harder to port than into whatever setting you're you're playing with different factions. Any other thoughts on backgrounds, or did we cover it all? I really dig the inheritor. That's that's just a neat idea for a background. Mm -hmm. I like the picture. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what what album cover she's she's uh <laughs> posing for but i i kind of want to buy the record <laughs> <laughs> um so then it, it finishes with a couple of appendixes the book does um which are is it a couple or just the one the one just appendix the one. um that is basically a hey we know that you're not all playing in the forgotten realms and here are some things that uh, ways and things that you can port into other settings including dragonlance eberron uh, let me turn the page. Greyhawk and Homebrew. Center. And Homebrew, yeah. Um, what do we think about... Uh, I mean, is, is, does, is that cool? Is it, I mean, it's a, what, two, three pages, whatever. It's kind of a throwaway, um, but a nod to, you know, be, let's be flexible and there's ways of making these things fit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, if anything, I kind of felt like there were places where they weren't being as flexible as, and, and creative as they could have been. 
Like there are moments where it's like, well, this this b- new build doesn't really fit into this setting. Um, yeah, it could. <laughs> Stop being so stingy. Like I can think of three <laughs> ways right now that I could fit that into Dragonlands or whatever on or whatever, right? Um, Why don't you tell us what they are? Oh, now I have to open the book again. <laughs> like, for example, how Dragonlance doesn't have the Sorcerer build as an example of how to port it, because Sorcerers may or may not exist in Dragonlance. Yeah, in fact, there's no, not even an entry in, for a Sorcerer, yeah. right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually pretty divisive, so I like that they just kind of like, nope, we're not going to touch we're it. Just, we're just not going to touch it. Right. They're not yeah. making a call. They're yeah. just literally not making a call. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, where is one where they talked about... Oh, like um, Arcana. The Cleric Arcana domain in, in Dragonlands has, you know, really has no place because we, they have these different arcane gods or whatever. Or it just has a place with multiple arcane gods. Right? Why do we have to, to say just it doesn't really fit? So they do things like that every now and then that I just think, you know, you could have been a little more creative and said, instead of saying this doesn't really fit, saying... Yeah, we can make it work. There's no reason it, it can't. And here's some ideas for doing it. But, you know, whatever. That's fine. Uh, it's such a small little part of the book. Last thoughts. Um, I'm sad that... The, I'm both sad and happy to see the return of the Unearthed Arcana content, like the Swashbuckler and Storm Sorcerer, mm-hmm. were originally online. And it's great to see them playtested and revised. Mm. That's lovely to know. Like, I feel much more comfortable bringing them into yeah. my game. But then that's less unearthed arcana content I have. <laughs> so. Well, but that I mean, our, that that is the whole vi- vision for unearthed arcana, right? Yeah. Is this I mean, is a chance for us to test some things out, and then maybe it'll show up in a book later. Or they could have released the updated version on as a free PDF. <laughs> it's it's a love hate thing. It's it's great that we have it, but it'd be mean, nice if it was more content. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they always. Re- <laughs> they always pitched it as as playtest yeah. material. I don't mind that they're trying to sell it later, because that's how it was given to us, right? We're going to give you this free playtest stuff, and then later on we'll sell it to you. That's what playtest is, right? That's how we did fifth edition to begin with: is let's give you some free stuff, and then but you have to, when it's done, you have to go out and buy the book. <laughs> so I guess I don't have a problem with that. They got to make money, and they're only putting out one book. You know, well, I guess three or four books a year, right? Yeah. <laughs> just worth mentioning yep. so. uh, okay I think that's fair any other last thoughts I, I love the map on page 5 which, which you can also download a high resolution image of from, from, from the website I think it's, it's, it's one of the best realms maps they've ever done mm-hmm. absolutely and, and I'm trying to remember uh, Mike Schley was it Mike Schley I believe that it looks like his maps. He makes beautiful maps. Yeah. Whenever I do work and I need a map yeah, for that, it, it was definitely I asked Mike's life. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and I'm I I met Mike at Gen Con and I'm friends with him on Facebook. Um, and so I had a conversation with him actually about the map and I and I told him this at the time. Um, I think he did a really good job of sort of using a modern aesthetic, but really grabbing the flavor of the even second edition um, realms maps that so many people loved right it it looks and feels like a, a, a second edif- edition realms map but it's you know updated with the the modern technique have you seen the map overlay yes i've not seen the map overlay yeah someone uh, took a picture of this map 
and then overlaid the first and second edition Forgotten Realms map, and then the third Forgotten Edition Realms map, and then the fourth edition Forgotten Realms map. Cool. And it's almost no way to tell the difference between this map and the first and second edition map. Uh-huh. It is like point for point. It is eerie. Whereas like third and fourth edition, it's like wildly off because they changed the scale in some areas. So right, it sure. Dead on. Hmm. It, it was really neat. It, That's cool. It would be great if Wizards of the Coast or perhaps Gale Force 9 were to sell a full-sized poster of this map that I could unfurl at my table oh, or I'm... hang upon, upon my wall. I feel fairly certain, given recent trends, that you will be able to do that um, before too long. Although Gale Force 9 might put it on vinyl and charge you 40 bucks for it. Well, perhaps they could send me a free uh, review copy. <laughs> and I will tell everyone who listens to Appendix N what a great product it is. <laughs> well, if they want to do so, they can get your contact information from me at thetomeshow at gmail.com. How's that sound? That sounds great. All right. All right. Well, I think we've we've talked through this book fairly thoroughly at this point. We've put it over an hour into it, and I still have an interview to get to. So I'm going to now toss it to, to, to me. Um, I'm going to be chatting with Steve Kinson of Green Ronin. Green Ronin is the studio that worked on this book with Watsy. Steve was the lead designer on it from Green Ronin. So without further ado, take it away, me. All right, I am here now with Steve Kinson, designer from Green Ronin Publishing and the lead designer for the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be back. You've been spending a lot of time here with us this fall. Yeah, I really have. It's been great. It's your second home. So you worked on the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and uh, I kind of want to hear about the process. I think we talked a little bit about the process with the um, Out of the Abyss adventure mm-hmm. that you also were the um, lead designer on. Sure. Um, so how, would, how did this compare? Um, was it, how was it different? How was it similar? Well, Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide is, is a very different book because it's uh, primarily uh, a source book and a setting book uh, and um, is not an adventure book. Uh, in fact, it's, it's basically the first you know, sort of setting source book for the fifth edition of D&D. Uh, so it definitely was a, was a different process um, than the adventure uh, was uh, because it was less um, obviously it's less about the, the the you know sort of narrative structure um, and you know how things like encounters are put together and all of those various elements that go into an adventure and much more about uh, the portrayal of the Sword Coast of the Forgotten Realms and um, covering all of that information. Uh, in as uh, a concise a form as we could. Okay. So um, just to, to so people understand sort of your bona fides here, um, especially the, the realms fans, right? They're fairly rabid mm-hmm. uh, in some ways. Uh, so what are your sort of bona fides? Uh, you know, why are you the one to tell us about the, the new Forgotten Realms? Well, in, in that regard, I was very fortunate uh, to be working uh, with uh, Brian Cortijo, who was one of the, uh, the authors uh, of the book. Uh, and Brian is uh, a realms lore guy from way back, <laughs> uh, has been involved um, with the, um, 
the, the candle keep um, fan group, uh, both online and uh, regularly at Gen Con. Uh, so uh, Brian is is a wealth of of knowledge about the realms. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, uh, obviously, uh, I you know have the advantage of working very closely with wizards uh, who are providing us a lot of reference materials and uh, a lot of guidance, you know, in terms of, you know, particular realms lore. Uh, so uh, it was fortunate, although I, I am most certainly a fan of the Forgotten Realms and long have been uh, ever since the original um, gray boxed set, uh, I, I by no means consider myself a comprehensive expert uh, on the Forgotten Realms, and really my role um, in the book was far more on the, uh, both on the sort of the design side and sort of how to approach the whole thing structurally. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, and, and I said actually in the uh, in the review portion um, that people heard a little while ago, um, if you can't have Ed Greenwood, Brian Cortijo is a really good second. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, s- speaking of, why no Ed Greenwood? Mm-hmm. Uh, that... You'd have to ask wizards, honestly. Okay. Um, it it wasn't a decision. Um, it wasn't a decision made by us. Um, you know, uh, wizards um, made some suggestions, um, but it was uh, pretty clear that uh, Ed wasn't going to be involved in the project. So hmm. um, we just kind of took that at face value and moved on. Okay. Now we also sort of talked about how this book. Um, for better and worse, seems to have a bit of an identity crisis, right? Mm. On, on one hand, it is a player's guide that that supports all of the the big campaign adventures that they've published in the last mm-hmm. uh, couple of years. On one hand, it's a setting book for the Forgotten Realms, and on one hand, it is a regional book just about the Sword Coast. But mm-hmm. it kind of sort of walks the line between all three of those. Can you talk about sort of the purpose behind all that? Sure. I mean... That's essentially true, um, and you know that's essentially what we set out to do with the book. Um, it really, it's really a matter of whether or not you consider um, that combination of things uh, a, a virtue or not. Um, it, basically, the, the the ultimate point of of the, the Sword Coast Adventurers Guide was to serve as an introduction to the Sword Coast and by extension, the Forgotten Realms as a setting, um, including some uh, setting-focused you know, game content you know, that would be of use to players to sort of root their characters in that setting. So um, the, the approach is very much one of uh, being very friendly to the, the new user, uh, if if someone has just picked up fifth edition D and D, they've gotten their start with the D and D basic rules or the starter set, and um, now they have become acquainted with the Forgotten Realms through some of the adventures. This is the the setting book to uh, get them started on uh, stepping out into a somewhat larger uh, understanding of the of the Sword Coast. Um, so it's it's intended to be a focused book um, that provides a good deal of information without being either overwhelming or um, skimping too much uh, on the details as far as that goes. And it's also intended to be a book that's that's inspirational to both players and dungeon masters 
um, so that you know when they're reading through this and they're learning about the Sword Coast, they can they can pick up on different uh, areas or regions and things like that and say, oh wow, that's really cool. I want our characters to go there. Okay, um, so. It's interesting that you talked about how it's intended to be a, a ready access for new um, new readers or new people new to the Forgotten Realms. Because one of the things I noticed was that I felt like a lot of the larger sort of setting sto- information mm-hmm. um, was uh, a nod to the longtime Realms fans to say, hey, we know you're, you're not getting your campaign guide right now, but – Let's just give you a quick update on what's going on in other parts of the world you might be curious about that have nothing to do with the Sword Coast. Sure. And we wanted to touch upon those things, uh, both, and that serves a dual purpose. You know, both it gives the, the new reader uh, a kind of a brief sense of what lies beyond the Sword Coast, that the Frightened Realms are vast and there's a great deal more to them. Uh, without necessarily, you know, again, providing an overwhelming amount of information. Um, and it allowed us at the same time, like you point out, to um, update uh, the longtime fans with some information uh, about what's been going on in those regions that they can easily extrapolate on based on what they, you know, the much more detailed information they already have. Absolutely. So, so speaking of sort of going outside of the Sword Coast, um, explain to me why the Purple Dragon Knight is in this in a Sword Coast book. Because they're from Cormier, and Cormier is not in the Sword Coast, right? Um, well, the Purple Dragon Knight was uh, uh, an editorial decision on Wizard's part, um, so it was uh, something that was designed in house by Wizards, uh, and uh, they included it in the book. Uh, so I can't speak to the <laughs> reason for the editorial decision. You'd have okay. to ask them. You'd have to ask them. Sure. Um, but I imagine that a great deal of it had to do with um, wanting to include a, um, uh, a essentially a, a martial character type uh, that addressed a lot of desire to see something akin to the warlord class mm. from fourth edition in fifth edition, um, and uh, certainly the purple dragon knight is a is a step in that direction. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Um. There's a lot of attention paid towards, especially in the mechanical sections. Like uh, as we were going through it sort of chapter by chapter, um, we get into what is it? The racial section, which is the first sort of mm-hmm. mechanical chapter yeah. where you get a lot of stats and, and new um, material for players and characters and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to say that the races chapter is, you know, your crunch, the beginning of your crunch section. Mm-hmm. Because, it's say it again. It's it's fairly light when it comes to the mechanics. Yeah. Well, and it seems like the focus throughout is setting and story, setting and story, setting and story, and then where there is a place where you can add mechanics to support that, you do. And that was pretty much our mandate as far as the book went, um, was to focus primarily on the, the, the setting and really to only add uh, mechanical content where it was it was really necessary, um, and so um, it really was an issue of um, not doing mechanics simply for mechanics' sake, mm-hmm. um, and particularly not uh, necessarily doing um, uh, sort of uh, balancing of uh, mechanics in terms of, of how they were handed out. 
um, you know, that every, you know, every race has to get X new things. Every class has to get X new things. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead it was, you know, stuff that was thematically and appropriate for the setting. Um, And so sometimes that meant that, you know, a particular race or class from the point of view of the stuff we were doing was already adequately covered in the core rules and really didn't need any additional material. Uh, so we didn't do anything. <laughs> sure. Um, and and th- then there's also, uh, we talked about sort of the identity crisis and theme, um, mm-hmm. but there's also a bit of a, of a hodgepodge of ways of, of adding those mechanics, right? Sometimes it's a um, just straight up use this thing from the player's handbook. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. it's a use this thing, but here's a way of modifying it. Sometimes it's a sidebar, like for the Ghostwise Halfling. Sometimes it's it's uh, a new mechanic to replace something in a class, or sometimes it's a new build, or you know, and, and so it sort of builds and builds and builds, um, and, and sort of is scattered uh, a bit as you go through. Sometimes you're going to get this, and sometimes you're going to get something more, and sometimes you're going to get something less. Um, talk about those decisions. Well, largely we worked on just like we worked on the the maxim of only adding mechanical content when it was necessary. It was also the notion of only adding mechanics to the point where they were necessary. So sometimes it was um, the simplest approach was to say, "Hey, use this concept from the player's handbook, but reskin it in this fashion or tweak it slightly in this fashion." Um, other cases, uh, it was more involved, uh, and it required more detail, um, and it was, well, use this subclass, but change these features in this way. And then other times it was a really, you know, full fledged, here's a whole new subclass, uh, that really handles this particular concept in the best possible way. Hmm. So again, it was, it was really what sort of degree of mechanics was was best suited to the situation without necessarily an eye towards, you know, every modification to a class had to be a new subclass. Every modification to a race had to be a new subrace. Yeah. And there were some that were, like, fairly brilliantly done. Like, I really enjoyed the, the um, what is it, I think a sidebar for half-elves where you can take mm-hmm. half-elves and, and apply yep. different types of elves to them. Yep. That's something that I don't remember ever seeing before and makes perfect sense. Cool. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I mean, that was that was an example of a way to provide a lot of options for half-elf characters uh, in the setting that was pr- that used a lot of the existing material in a, in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and there are a few that don't necessarily seem necessary, uh, and I was curious kind of um, where they came from. Now, we already talked a little bit about the, the Purple Dragon Knight and that they don't really... Fit with the the region that is the focus here, um, and that wasn't your decision. So you, you know you, we can always speculate about about what that where that came from. Uh, but the other one I was curious about was the um, storm sorcery sorcerer's origin. Um, I I can't think of something that's so iconically realms that 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 is represented by that that had to be in there. So I'm curious where that came from. Well, I hate to break it to you, but that was another one that Wizards decided uh-huh. on. I thought it might be, actually. <laughs> um, and um, I, my understanding is certainly, you know, it is the Sword Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great deal of coastline and something, you know, that was um, uh, elementally focused, you know, seemed uh, appropriate uh, 
for for the book. I, I imagine that's why Wizards decided to go with it, but you'd have to ask them. Yes, yeah, I, I speculated we, we might see like a future novel or an update in a video game or something that matches it. So it could be, and it, it may be one of those things that that simply meshes with another uh, piece of content that they're working on elsewhere. Right. Very good. Uh, so of. And obviously, some of these things you worked on very, very closely, and some of them Wizards did. And mm-hmm. and it does certainly seem like um, Wizards is moving towards um, working with um, studios as partners rather than as, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like freelance studios, like they've it seemed like they sort of did early on. It was, well, it was a very collaborative process, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in terms of how the book went. So, um, yeah, there were definitely, you know, sections that, that, that Wizards worked on and sections that we worked on and stuff we, we really kind of went back and forth on together. So, Absolutely. Um, how much did you get it sort of a, um, uh, a request or, or were you asked to um, include things to support the different factions? Because I know that that's been one of the things they've built into a lot of the stories for 5th edition. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, it, we, we certainly were, were keeping the factions in mind um, and when we were working on the book um, with an eye towards the fact that, you know, there were going to be something from the setting that players were f- probably going to be already familiar with from the previous adventures uh, and from things like Adventurers Guild. Um, and uh, it was just a matter of, of kind of keeping that in mind. Beyond that, I don't think we focused too heavily on the factions um, you know, just because uh, we didn't want to make them the only lens mm-hmm. through which you know you really looked at the setting. Um, you know, we wanted to make it clear that they were they were present and they're involved, and you know they're certainly you know all you know different factions that are they're very prevalent and involved in all kinds of things in the Sword Coast. But um, we didn't want it to be the sole you know, sort of, uh, you know, like these are the only factions in the realms. We wanted to focus a lot on the fact there are a lot of different, you know, sort of factions in the realms. So in the background of Faction Agent, was that you or Wizards? Uh, That was us. That was you? Okay. So, so and that's one of the things I thought about when when we were discussing it um, is in many ways that could have very easily been, what, five different backgrounds. Like you could have tailored Mm -hmm. a different background for each faction. So why go with one one background and then have these different sort of connections to different factions. We played around with the idea of doing different backgrounds, but ultimately um, they ended up being so relatively similar um, that it was much easier um, to uh, sort of collapse them all into one um, and offer some ways to sort of tweak and customize the background to suit the different factions. And we did that with a couple of different backgrounds, um, as, as, you know, really just a way to pack the most punch into the space that we were working with. Um, because, you know, we only have, um, you know, a handful of backgrounds, mm-hmm. you know, in the book. Um, and so, um, you know, doing a different background for every faction would have eaten up a big chunk of that chapter. Uh, and so we just felt it was better to, um, you know, basically provide one, sort of stock background that you could kind of play around with for the different factions. Okay. Um, so if somebody wanted to sort of get a, a brief overview of 
um, here's what the post Sundering Realms looks like, or how it, what it feels like. How how would you describe the realms after all this this turmoil and change in the fourth edition with the spell plague, and then the Sundering to sort of bring some things back? But mm-hmm. um, talk about sort of the the goal in terms of creating that feel, or or what you were going for. Well, the the notion was to um, not necessarily. Uh, the notion was to basically move past the Sundering in a lot of regards. Um, and uh, the, the notion that um, the, the realms, although the, the Sundering as well as all of the other you know, uh, recent events, relatively speaking, in the realms, have had their, their impact, um, that uh, the, you know, the realms, uh, as it always has, um, you know, sort of recovers and moves on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that from the point of view of the um, sort of average person uh, in the Forgotten Realms, um, that, you know, there was a lot of, you know, strange and sort of disquieting stuff that happened, um, and it's done. You know, uh, the, the, the weird omens have stopped, and the strange weather has stopped, and... Um, you know, for most people, as far as most people are concerned, life has pretty much gone back to normal. Um, and um, as much as there is a normal, yeah, in, right. In as much as there is a normal in a you know fantastic world that has wizards and dragons, right. um, you know. So uh, we really wanted to portray uh, the notion of a realms that is a is a living place and like you know living things. You know, it recovers from trauma. Um, and you know, uh, it has, it has, you know, moved on uh, in many regards and, you know, the Sundering has created some changes just as all of the, the other great epic events in the realms past have, but they're all part of history now. So some of what's happened with this update to the realms is, um, there's been sort of a return to the older versions. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes a return to the third edition version, sometimes a return, I would even say so far back as to the second edition version, uh, mm-hmm. but at the same time, keeping some elements of the fourth edition version still in there. Um, can you speak to some of the decisions that had to be made to, to reach that balance and, and like when in doubt, go to second edition or third edition or, or sort of what was the, the idea? Well, like um, the current edition of Dungeons and Dragons, I think the realms now reflects through things like Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, a, uh, you know, a mix of, you know, the, the sort of uh, feel and style of all the previous editions of the game and of the setting. Um, so just like uh, D&D mixes and matches a lot of, of elements from its history, so now does the realms, you know, which I think works pretty well with the, with the overall style of the game. Um, we tended to hearken back a little more to some of the classic elements of the realms in some ways, um, while also keeping uh, the, um, the, the the stuff that happened um, during the the spell plague and you know everything that followed. Um, certainly, some stuff in the sundering and post sundering period healed some of the damage uh, of the spell plague. Um, or restored certain elements of the realms to uh, largely the way they were before uh, in some ways. Um, and so that was a certain amount of you know, sort of uh, hearkening back to earlier uh, additions 
uh, of the realms. Um, and uh, a lot of it was really uh, sort of acknowledging uh, certain elements uh, from the, the fourth edition era, um, particularly uh, the addition of a lot of the, the new races and their cultures and the like to the setting. Um, and restoring a lot of things uh, from earlier editions uh, that were, you know, very popular and, you know, really sort of, you know, iconic elements of the setting uh, that a lot of people liked. Okay, very good. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I like to speculate that that um, given the direction that Wizards is going, that there is a campaign guide in the future at some point. Um, and so it'll be curious to see sort of um, how that, that some of this stuff gets fleshed out more. Um, you know, so mm. that we know like, you know, um, was it the the Flying City, was it Airspur is still around, but the rest of that kingdom is gone. And, um, mm-hmm. and so it'll be curious to see sort of how that all plays out and fleshes out as we get more and yeah. more details. So I assume some of that was coming straight from Wizards and they were telling you sort of what the New Realms looked like and you just wrote up the descriptions. Yes. Uh, Wizards basically provided us a pretty comprehensive outline of the, the status quo mm-hmm. um, for the New Realms. Um, and we worked uh, largely around that. Um, you know, there were occasionally um, moments of you know just needing clarification or you know coming to a, a hey, you know, we're you know not sure about the you know sort of status of this thing um, that uh, occasionally required a conversation to to clarify. But you know, we we worked from a pretty clear you know sort of you know these things have you know moved into place. Um, these things have changed, uh, sort of uh, structure document from the start. Mm-hmm. So, of all the things that you worked on, and some of that the wizards worked on, or whatever, uh, what's your favorite thing in the book? Oh gosh, uh, um, there's there's so much. It's that's hard to it's hard to pick an off thing. <laughs> I ask um, the hard questions over here, right? Yeah. Um, I am. I'm particularly happy with how um, the um, the inheritor background came out. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, I'm particularly fond of that. Uh, it's one of the more fleshed out backgrounds mm-hmm. in the book, and I just like the the story hook of characters with a background that they've gotten some weird thing. Um, uh, or another, and it's that that's kind of a, one of the sort of key mysteries of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a, it's a particularly fun background to play around with. Um, and, um, I'm really, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of super minor, but I'm really happy with, uh, the, um, line that Joe Carriker, um, who did, uh, the, he wrote most of the bulk of the deities material, uh, in the book. And, uh, Joe has a great, um, uh, line in there uh, that uh, talks about the uh, that basically strongly implies um, that uh, some of the uh, priests and priestesses of uh, Sunni, the the goddess of beauty, um, do drag, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and that they're they're e- uh, something along the lines of equally adept at presenting themselves in the most beautiful fashion in either gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love the notion of I would just love a um, a drag cleric of Sunni who you know, <laughs> just looks fabulous as a man or a woman. That'd be great. So, uh, and it seems like you particularly enjoy the parts that have um, very 
evocative sort of story elements. Like you mentioned the, yes. the inheritor um, background, and that's an interesting balance that I see a lot on, on things in D and D specifically. Um, is that some things are really evocative and some things are really general. You know, so you have mm-hmm. backgrounds that are just sort of big and broad um, and don't necessarily evoke um, a really strong story. Um, and then mm-hmm. you have other things like the inheritor that that really do. And the, I mean, even the classes of D and D do that, right? The fighter is pretty sure. broad and vague, and the warlock has a built-in storyline to it. Built-in story with their patron, sure, right. absolutely. And you know, and that's uh, you know, as it should be in terms of having the right options for players, mm-hmm. because you know, some players want a background that is that stays in the background, you know, and is what that character did back when and you know it provides them with some skills and it provides them with some context and they're good you know um and other players really do like a background that has an ongoing story mm-hmm. to it and something that they can really you know sink their teeth into and can be woven into the campaign so it's good that there's that range of options yeah, I haven't seen too many backgrounds that that try to provide that kind of built-in story to them though and so it's good to see some of that coming out here Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I look forward to seeing more of it in the future. Uh, so, what else should people know about the Sword Coast Adventures Guide? Anything that I didn't ask that I should have? Well, I think that the the, the main thing uh, I would point out, in addition to the fact that you know the book is 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 although it's largely aimed at uh, new players, uh, it certainly, like you said, has has plenty of things for the longtime realms fans. And in addition to that, although it's it's commonly perceived as a player-focused book, I think that the the book has a lot uh, for dungeon masters um, in terms of you know not just the you know just the sort of overall picture of the setting, um, but I think that all of our uh, setting material is is rife with adventure hooks and potential ideas. Um, for adventures, you know, although they're not necessarily called out as such uh, in quite the traditional sort of, you know, um, you know, header, you know, adventure hook, mm-hmm. colon, you know, um, but they're certainly there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, you know, reading through a lot of the setting material, um, Dungeon Masters can certainly get plenty of ideas uh, of different things they could run in the realms. Yeah, sometimes I'll read a book like this. I think the fourth edition uh, realms campaign guide did this for me is I start reading through it. And as I get into more and more details, a story starts appearing to me throughout the chapters. Mm-hmm. You know, and by the time you get to the end, it's like, Oh, I got a whole campaign figured out. Clearly this is what this book wants me to do is run this campaign, you know? So right. even though that was never the intent. Yeah. And I think it can be very inspirational in that way. Yeah, you can. And, and you even uh, included an appendix in this book uh, specifically for the mechanical elements to say, here's how you can, adjust it and put them, you know, lift it out and put it into other settings and what have you as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Wizards, uh, did the, the heavy lifting on that. Yeah. They, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, that was something they wanted to, to do in terms of making the, um, mechanical content in the book, you know, universal essentially, or more so. You couldn't convince them to throw a green running setting in there, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> D and D only settings, I'm afraid. Okay. I'm sure, uh, you know, someday, We'll get yes. our uh, our green Ernie. We got to advertise our settings in the back, so that's that's, that's true. Great. That's true. I'm I'm uh, I'm just after after the uh, winter break. I'm starting my uh, 
my middle school gaming group on a uh, round of fifth edition Freeport. Oh, fantastic! So that'll be really good. The first, the first time they've ever played, and I'm I'm going to throw them right into the the trilogy, the original trilogy. Awesome. So it should be fun. that should be great. There's, um, you know, there's a there's a uh, a guy on um, I should say there's someone on Twitter um, who has uh, um, is is live is basically live tweeting as their their dwarf character going through all of the Freeport adventures. Wow, that's cool. It's the first Freeport adventure, so it's his. His his live tweets as in character of of what's going on during <laughs> the adventures. It's kind of fun. All right, well, very good. We we've, we've uh, gone a bit far afield here, but uh, thanks for coming on again. It was a blast. Uh, and and I don't know when we're going to get a chance to talk to you again. We might have to uh, come up with an excuse here in, in a few months, just you know, because we'll miss Steve. Well, I know. I hope we find someone. It would be a great opportunity to come back. All right, very good. And that's the end of this episode. I want to thank. Uh, Steve Kinson, who you just finished listening to, as well as Jeff Wynn. Jeff? That's me. Where can we find you on the interwebs? Well, you can listen to the Appendix N podcast right here on this feed. And you can email the Tome Show to tell Jeff Dreiner uh, that I should definitely definitely get a raise because he's not paying me anything. I I send you uh, Amazon gift money sometimes. Right? He could send me more. Okay. Send tell you him more. To, send, to, send, to send me more. Well, tell the listeners to get out there and use the Amazon affiliate link more, and then I'll have more money to send you. Listeners, do what Jeff said. <laughs> All right. Sean Merwin, where can people find you? You can find me at Sean Merwin on Twitter or at uh, encodeddesigns.com. And as I recall, you've already reviewed this book on another podcast. Where was that? That was at a podcast called Down With D&D, which is a member of the Misdirected Mark Network. There you go. So go check that out. And you can have the, uh, the extra dose of Sean talking about Sword Coast Adventures Guide. If, if this episode wasn't enough, Sean and Sword Coast yes. Adventures Guide. Because you can never have too much. You may need to uh, wash me down with some water, though. There you go. <laughs> David Gibson, where can we find you on the interweb? It's my blog and webcomic, 5-Minute Workday at 5MWD.com. I'm on Twitter constantly at, at D&D Jester, usually renting either D&D or politics. So. <laughs> and people can, will also find you as the D&D Jester over at uh, Inworld, right? Uh, Jester Jest- Canuck or something. Oh, you're Jester Canuck? Yes. See, Jester you and, you and your double names. If, if you see a Jester and they're talking about D&D, it's probably this guy. Yeah. Right? All right. Very good. <laughs> and I also want to thank all of you for supporting the show and shopping at our affiliate links. Like Jeff and I were just talking about, we have our Amazon affiliate link. Get all the great, same great Amazon service that you normally get, same prices, but you know we get a, we get a little a little taste uh, for sending you that way. Also, the D and D Classics affiliate links. All these things are posted with each posting of an episode, so people can easily find it on our website at thetomeshow.com and go over and check those things out and help us all out. And I share that, that, um, those resources out there with the other producers that make shows on the Tome Show's feed as well. Um, you can also find other great Tome Show shows over at thetomeshow.com, like Appendix In, The Roundtable, Gamer to Gamer, which Sean and David have both been... Well, Sean has been on Gamer to Gamer, and both of them have been on The Roundtable. Um, all kinds of things over there. The book club, which I'm recording another one of next week, which uh, Jeff is going to join me for. 
Um, all kinds of great shows over at thetomeshow.com. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. Call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And that's episode 258, where we braved the wilds of the Sword Coast and a whole lot more in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm on the wall.